0: Welcome to Brain Slides, the presentation podcast for teachers, helping you present better to teach better.
1: Welcome again to the Brain Slides podcast. I'm Nathan Cashin, the host of this podcast and Very excited to come to you today with a little bit of a different format. And joining me, first of all, is my co-host, Mike Pulsifer. How's it going?
2: Good. How are you doing?
1: I am doing so well. It is warming up in Salt Lake City. Oh, it's been so nice. I can handle the rain, but the snow is getting to be a bit too much.
2: (laughs) 80 degrees out here. Ooh,
1: and I bet it's a bit humid, too.
2: Oh, yeah, it's starting.
1: Well, that's okay. So we can, you know, there's a little bit of a compromise there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, we've got an exciting new thing to bring to the show today. You know, it's been just you and me. We had uh, Anna fajofa Zone join us a couple weeks ago, who is a professional designer. Uh, today, something completely different. I'm very excited to introduce uh, another guest on the show, Tony Christensen. How you doing?
0: I'm doing well, thanks. And because I did get did your
1: I got your name right, didn't I?
0: Tony Christensen, absolutely. Okay, great.
1: So Tony is a university professor, right, up in Canada.
0: That's correct.
1: And uh, it's it's probably been months now. Yeah, yeah, I you know, I procrastinate things, but I, I saw Tony send a, t- a message on Twitter to presentations in. Who is Gar Reynolds, a very well known presentation design expert. And it was about redesigning his slides in the presenta- presentation Zen way. Um, so you redid your lecture slides for one of your yeah. classes. And I said, Oh, I want to see that. So I sent you a message and asked to see some samples, and you sent them to me. And I thought, wow, this is pretty darn good for <laughs> someone who just, you know, just kind of read Gar's book and then redid your slides. <laughs> I was very impressed.
0: Well, thank you. Uh, it was. Um, I, I don't want to sound like I was. I'm bragging, but I was really impressed too. I was really shocked at how well it turned out, considering I have like no design experience in the past or anything. So um, I show them off all the time to be look what I did. Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> it's it's sad, really. It's actually quite sad.
1: I think I think you have a lot to be proud of. Um, you know, I've I've dealt with lots of teachers, and you know, just just the history of, you know, the lecture setting, the classroom setting, um, and trying to get technology in there just lends itself to, you know, just trying to use PowerPoint and unfortunately in a not very effective way. And everybody does it. I've done it. I I used to do uh, some workshops actually in Brazil, and I was thinking about it a while ago. I sat there in red off of my laptop to a group of about 12 people. you know. So, so we all do it. We all make this mistake of using bullet points and death by PowerPoint and all that. So well done. Good on you. Uh, <laughs> Thank you very much. And I'm very excited to have you on the show to share your experience and to share how you went about improving your slides. So tell me where you teach.
0: Uh, I teach at... Um Wilfrid Laurier University in Ontario, Canada, but I'm actually at a satellite campus uh, in Brantford, so it's Wilfrid Laurier Brantford, and I teach in the Contemporary Studies Program, which is an interdisciplinary program, uh, brings together all sorts of different perspectives to sort of tackle uh, a variety of topics, basically anything that's sort of current and going on right now. Um, I'm trained i got my phd in sociology and i focus on my own uh work is on crime deviance and social problems oh very interesting does contemporary
1: studies have uh kind of a a different name maybe in the states because i have not heard of it
0: yeah well if you go to places a lot of places have like interdisciplinary studies it's very similar to that very uh same idea Mm -hmm. so we've got like historians geographers english um professors uh all all sorts of stripes uh, of professors working together in the same program. So, but interdisciplinary studies would probably be the closest sort of idea.
1: Yeah, how long have you been teaching?
0: Um, as a professor, I've uh, this is just finishing up my fourth year. Uh, I taught two years as a lect- like, Yeah, two years where I was finishing my PhD. At a different university, McMaster, and then I finished my PhD, and then uh, two years ago, and so the last two years I've been just doing, um, uh, being just being a professor, not also doing it as I was finishing my dissertation, uh, made life a lot easier. Mm. So you are you're quite the academic. Um, Yeah, it's the life I chose. We'll see how it turns out. (laughs) And
1: have you used PowerPoint all the time as a teacher? In the classroom?
0: Uh, From the moment, yeah, when I became a professor, I was a a TA uh, for uh, six years before that. And during those six years, I never used PowerPoint uh, at all. Because I had smaller classes, like 12, 15 students usually. Um, So we just had class discussions. Or else I was teaching statistics and we were just going through problem sets. So I didn't need PowerPoint. But the the moment. So what
1: did you use if you didn't use PowerPoint?
0: chalkboard or a whiteboard okay. I, I wasn't I wasn't lecturing though right it was just you know I gathered any, everyone in a circle for discussions and and you know ask questions about readings or else um just for the stats class it was just like here's the question you know or they all had the question on a handout and I just we'd go through it on a whiteboard and and things like that so didn't I wasn't lecturing so I didn't really need powerpoint but when I got asked to do guest lectures when I was still a graduate student, I would use PowerPoint. So I was asked to do two guest lectures during that time, and boom, out came the PowerPoint and out came the bullet points uh, along with it. So yeah, when I, every time I did a formal lecture, when I was like the head honcho at the beginning, the, uh, at the front of the class, uh, PowerPoint right there.
1: Why did you just kind of grab PowerPoint as soon as you became a lecturer?
0: Um, because it was, it it really is, it's the, it's the norm, right? It's Uh how everyone else, uh, it's what everyone else was doing. Um, and I mean, I'm guilty of all the sins that bad PowerPoints, uh, users are always guilty of, right? Uh, it made me more comfortable because I had my lecture notes up on the screen, essentially. It acted as a guide and it was uh-huh. in many ways more for me than it was for my students, right? All those sorts of classical, classic mistakes that we make with PowerPoint and that it was more for me than it was for my students. It put me in my comfort zone. It helped me do my lecture, um, which I mean, I think is understandable when you're starting out um, because you know, the first time you step in front of that class, you're nervous and that PowerPoint gives you comfort. Um,
1: yeah, I, I do not envy professors having to get up there and, you know, talk about very complex subjects (laughs) and, you know, share their knowledge. It's difficult and I can see how PowerPoint, you know, kind of comforts you because you have all the information right there and you, you know, you don't get caught off guard.
0: Exactly. And, uh, but the, the thing is, the more experience you get, the, like even in four years i 'm so comfortable going in front of people and talking now, like well in front of classes because i mean part of it 's I know my stuff, I hope I think I do <laughs> uh, at least that that 's what I tell them I know my stuff i 've done it a few times before i 'm not so nervous about doing it, and I think that 's one of the things that helped me sort of change my style a bit was that I, um, there was a, there was a, several reasons why I changed my style, but part of it I think was um, was that I was comfortable enough that I didn't need that script in front of me anymore. I was getting to the point where I knew what was going to pop up on the screen anyway. So I was like, well, if I know, I don't need it there. I don't need it there to guide me. I know what I want to say. And making the switch away from bullet points to just sort of more less text intensive slides has also made it way easier for me to go off script and just sort of riff on whatever's being talked about. I'm not bound by this, you know, set of points that are there. So you're flipping around going, Oh, we've digressed or anything like that. It makes it much easier to just sort of almost improvise on the stage with students. And I think it's a much better experience. So,
1: you know, in my experience, uh, in certain colleges or certain, you know, certain uh, departments in universities where a class is taught by a number of different professors, you have to teach the same exact thing in each section. Do you uh, find that to be a challenge? Or... Uh,
0: I've, I've never been required to do that at all. Okay, so um, you're pretty or...
1: much independent in the course that you teach, so you yeah. have that flexibility of, of changing up the syllabus on the fly.
0: Uh, yeah, we're we're given that. I mean, the syllabus. In this, I'm allowed to create the syllabus. Once I've created it, it, it gets a little bit harder to, to change it because we're bound to it in certain ways. It's it's a contract we're told. So, but you but, might be able.
1: Uh, to, but you can go into more depth on a certain topic. Yeah, than, if they like it. I, yeah.
0: If they, if they start asking questions and they want to know more about it, and I'm absolutely free to to talk about it and go uh, much more into depth. And I think I don't know for sure, but that might be the It might be a difference between uh, social sciences versus sciences where um, in the sciences, there's like, you have to talk about this, this and this, because if you don't talk about that, that and that, um, the higher level course isn't going to make any sense. Uh, And I think there might be more of a tendency in the sciences towards standardization. That's a generalization, and I have no evidence to back that up. It's just a hypothesis.
1: I think it's fairly accurate, and my background was in exercise science, so lots of anatomy, lots of physiology, and all those classes where...
0: Yeah, my uh, wife's a physiotherapist, so I, I know all about the anatomy thing she had to go through, memorize, all that sort of stuff, so yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. So tell us where where was the turning point
0: um, well over t- what had been happening over time and it really hit me in my third year of teaching uh, I was marking, and as I was marking it, it, I had noticed it in previous years, but just more and more I was reading the essays that they're writing or the answers they're giving on their, their exams. And I was going, all I am getting are my bullet points spat right back to me. Uh, When you say marking
1: in the U S we say grading, you know? Oh yeah. Grading. Yeah. yeah, 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 Proper English is, is marking. So just
0: (laughs) clarify. Um, yeah. So I, I would be reading and it was, I was like verbatim. I was getting verbatim back, just bullet points put into sentence format.
1: Just regurgitated right back at you.
0: Yeah, and I was really disappointed with that because that's not at all what I'm interested in. I I don't want them to. Ju- I don't want my students to just memorize things. I want them to actually think about them and make arguments and work with the ideas we've worked with in class and and put them into uh, new forms and, and reconfigure them and and show that they're actually doing critical thinking that they're they're trying to actually own the ideas. Yeah, especially that-
1: in liberal arts, right? I understand that liberal arts tries to really. Uh, bring different disciplines together and make something more coherent.
0: Absolutely. And, and even if it's not interdisciplinary, just like if I'm just teaching a straight up sociology course, just the fact that they're able to take something, you know, I've taught them about and saying, here's how I understand it. Here's how I can apply it. This is what it means to me. This is how I, how I, I understand it. Um, that's what we're aiming for. I don't want robots, right? I don't want people who just can competently memorize what I've said and spit it back because that's that's not what a university education is about. And I don't think in any discipline that's truly what they're looking for. But what I was realizing or my my hunch was that these bullet point slides were actually structuring the way that they were thinking and so that they were just like, I have, you know, here are the bullet points i've memorized them all i know what he talked about exactly when you know he talked about each of these bullet points i will regurgitate that onto a paper and boom and i think by taking that away it forces them to it makes them actually have to think about what's being shown on the screen they don't just dutifully copy it down they they have to start teasing out well what's important here what is he talking about what's his message the message isn't just like popped or, uh, like it isn't just written down for them they actually have to think about and pay attention to what i'm saying that's so a really great point. A distraction yeah in so. my
1: experience i i guess i never thought of it that way because i would always see students just writing down what was on the screen um, and at first glance you think oh they're taking great notes they're taking tons of notes yeah but you make a good point it's kind of just going through the ears or their eyes in onto the paper, but there's yeah. not much, um, you know, I, computation. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Critical. There's thinking. no reflection. There's, okay, they're not great.
0: reflecting on it. And, and I th- Think about this. I can give you a piece of paper and ask you to to, to transcribe what's on that piece of paper. And you can dutifully transcribe it. And I bet you I could do that without even actually paying attention to the content of that piece of paper, right? I just write down the words. I don't have to think about it. And I could have no recollection of what's on that piece of paper. And I think it's the same with bullet point slides or text intensive slides. is that they copy them down, but they're not thinking about what they're copying down. They're just making sure that the words are the same as what's on the screen, and and it makes it really ridiculous because you could just give them, print them out and say, here they are. You don't have to copy all that down anymore. Um, and, and so, yeah, that, that was the um, one of the big reasons why I, I switched. I wanted them to have to actually think about what was being said to pay attention. And, and you mentioned that they were taking, you know, it seems like they're taking really good notes. When I look back at my own experiences as an undergrad, and I wasn't taught by PowerPoint, right? This, I was an undergrad from 1996 to 2000. Barely any of the classrooms even were capable of showing PowerPoint. So it wasn't being used. And I look back, I barely wrote notes. It wasn't maybe my style, maybe not my learning style. But what I tended to do was pay much more attention to what was being said instead of just writing everything down dutifully. And I think... Uh, we benefit more by actually paying attention to what's being said and that taking too in depth of notes can be detrimental, uh, because it actually distracts from the content and the meaning of the lecture.
1: Mike, jump in any
0: time. Yeah. Uh,
2: I mean, I, I actually was because one of the things that you're, you're talking about right there, you, what, what you realized, you know, how you realized that they, they just weren't thinking critically you know colleges and universities are are the, the um the, the the firewall if you will for for those people and and the the attitudes and the behaviors um b- before these these people leave college and and go into the corporate world where i work right and all too often it's just it's really um I hate you know, to go as extreme as depressing, but it's quite upsetting to see all these really, really smart people who <laughs> – they're great at taking orders. right? But that's all they want is that they want to be told what it is that they need to do so they can go do it. I want people who who um, make use of, of their intellect, make use of what they've learned. Uh, come up with new and creative ideas. Take that initiative. Um, and I think, you know, the key to that is the, the critical thinking. And the other point you were making there about um, about just, you know, the retention, uh, then, then pay te- paying attention to what, it is sh- what you're actually telling them. Um, you know, you, there's there's a, a great parallel nowadays between the way – a lot of teachers are unfortunately using PowerPoint the way it's being used in the corporate world. You know, they they send out the slides ahead of time with all the bullet points. Everybody's read the slides before the presentation is even being given. Nobody's listening. Yeah. Nobody's listening.
0: Yeah. It's um the the first point that you made there too about about wanting people that are capable of doing more than just. Uh, taking orders, that are uh, able to take initiative, think critically, give good feedback, um, and and things like that. I think that's, we all desire that. Um, I think that's what professors would love to do. At the same time, what's happening more and more in the university, those that we're faced with larger and larger classes, it becomes harder to actually find effective ways to teach that critical thinking. And I think students as well are, starting to realize that or starting to even demand in some ways to just have that. Tell me what you want. I will give it back to you. Everything's great. And when you're facing higher and higher workloads as a professor, there's an enormous temptation to just give in to that because it makes it easier for you to, to just, you know, say, here's the multiple choice tests, regurgitate what I said. Um, makes it easier for me makes it easier for you and there's that sort of complicitness in in that process i mean have teaching students to be really good critical thinkers i think that's the ideal that almost all professors want but when we're faced with the reality of it, it it's very easy to pay lip service to it but you have to get on with with just getting through the class, and it 's very tempting to just sort of take the easy way out and it, is, I,
1: it really is quite a challenge, and I think we 're kind of talking more about edu- education philosophy, <laughs> but,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. but it, <laughs> it's so
1: it 's very true because I know that in my classes uh, there's hundreds in a lecture hall, whether it 's anatomy or chemistry, or even even our general education history classes. And these classes are required for you to be able to move on. And I heard it over and over again by my student peers. Just tell me what I need to know. Tell me <laughs> what I need to pass this class so that I can get into med school, so that I can go on to law school. Uh, do you? Th- Let's go ahead and... We can go with this philosophy <laughs> segment. We'll you... get to the slides sooner or later, but yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> but I'm enjoying this. So, is you know,
1: is that something that we should turn around? Um, is it is is there value in just knowing what we need to know to pass a class, um, or should we be avoiding that altogether? And should we move? Towards this critical thinking and allowing students to, you know, come up with their own solutions to questions.
0: Well, I think that that was that critical thinking was always, the, in my opinion, that was always the sort of ideal for what university should be. Um, that you know, creating better thinkers, better citizens, better um, uh, better people that just um, think. And sort of unpack the world in in useful ways, in, in critical ways. As opposed uh, maybe
1: I, to a vocational college where you go to learn a craft, learn a skill, some explicit yeah. skills. And I I have nothing against vocational skills. I think if you know if you then, know what you want to do, go and do it.
0: And, well yeah, this is this is also one of the things too, I, I talk about because what's more and more is I think we're facing a a a a set of students who are, are disengaged. They don't really know why they want to be in university. And I think part of that is Mm -hmm. there's this underlying belief that university is somehow better than a vocational college, which is something I entirely disagree with that they're both incredibly valuable and equally valuable. They're just different. And, um, and that a vocational (laughs) training is incredibly necessary and valuable. Um, and, and there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's just that the role of the university was supposed to be a place for training everyone that goes there to be critical thinkers. And, um, I think more and more we're moving towards a vocational model, which is unfortunate. Um, but something also, so your question originally was, was, is that something is critical thinking something that we should be trying to, to, to foster? I think it's imperative that I think that's the point. Uh, regardless of discipline that regardless of whether you're in biology or um, um, sociology and a capability of taking the ideas that you're given and imaginatively and critically reconfiguring them that's valuable everywhere. I mean, I don't, you're working with, Cell biology or crime and deviance. Being able to take what you've been shown and reconfigure it imaginatively is incredibly important. So, yeah, it's essential. It has. It's what universities should be about. Um, absolutely. Now,
2: tying this back to back to the slides, um, mm-hmm. would would you think that the the changes that you've made um, are allowing the your students? To not just focus on the details, which we all need to learn, especially well, – I, I, I've got a, a science degree myself, so I had to understand the details, but also to focus on and, and grasp the big picture.
0: Man, um, I think it helps. Um, I, I think that doing slides the sort of old way is actually – It it hinders this, and we would be better off just not using PowerPoint at all, uh, Mm -hmm. rather than using bullet points. I actually think they are harmful and and regressing (laughs) what goes on in the classroom. Um, But it has this this um, it has to be more than just the slides. Slides enough aren't 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 going to do anything. Like slides alone aren't going to do anything um, if they're not combined with. Uh, an instructor who is able to provide useful examples that is able to deliver the content in a way that is meaningful to the students and engage them in some way so that they're able to figure out how to apply it to their own discipline or their own calling. Uh, And that this also has to be combined with... um, assignments that also ask for critical thinking. I mean, it's, it's, the slides are one of the tools in the package, but if the rest of the package sucks, mm-hmm. um, the slides alone are, are nothing. And so if you're doing a fantastic, fantastic slides and even a great presentation and then giving them a multiple choice exam and that's it, well, then what's the point they, they need to find some avenue to actually apply and work with the ideas that they're doing. Um, so, Taking out poor bullet point slides, I think, will help because I think they're they're actually harmful. But it's certainly not enough. So it to- may
1: not. It's not really the cure, but uh, it um, maybe reduces one of the symptoms of the problem that we're facing.
0: Yeah, it helps. It absolutely helps. But it has to go with everything else.
1: I appreciate you bringing that up because I've also I've always thought to myself. Um, These professors are so knowledgeable and so just intelligent, and yet many of them struggle to impart that knowledge. And and I think it goes back to something that I didn't understand is that they weren't necessarily trained to teach. Some professors are excellent teachers, um, but some just haven't had that training. And I've been working on a project uh, in my current job, where we've done some a series of videos on technology in the classroom. It relates a lot to PowerPoint. They use things like smart boards and iPads. And something that we've been seeing is is just what you said. This technology does not improve education unless the foundations of teaching are there first. Yeah. And so if you are if you have learned the skills to teach, then using technology appropriately can improve that and make you maybe more effective. Um, but you cannot teach better with technology until you know how to teach well without it. I think the yeah. same goes for PowerPoint. So bring us back to how you, how you kind of started redesigning your slides. You realized that bullet points weren't doing the trick.
0: Yeah. And the, the first test actually became, uh, I got uh, a job interview, actually. So the first time I, I redesigned the slides, it wasn't for a lecture; it was for a job interview. And for academic job interviews, like to be to get a job as a professor, um, it's usually a one or two day ordeal. Or it's not like a one hour interview. You're there for two days, and they might have you lecture to a class. They have an interview, with, you know, the dean and the hiring committee. And one of the things you have to do is what's called a job talk, and this is where you present your research to the hiring committee, and anyone else who chooses to show up, usually most of the members of the department. And so as part of the job talk, I had been on a couple of other interviews previously, and I had used PowerPoint as part of the job talk, and I had used, you know, the classic bullet point slides. And I had made the decision that I wasn't going to do it for this job talk. I was going to reconfigure the slides and um, and uh, turn them into, I mean, that's when I picked up Nancy Duarte's, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, but uh, Duarte. That, Duarte. Slideology uh, resonate wasn't out yet, but Slideology and Gar Reynolds' uh, books as well, and that's when I really started looking at how to redesign slides. Did you just and come so
1: across that, them in a bookstore, or how did you hear about them?
0: Um, I had had another professor that taught where I was doing my um, my PhD. She had suggested Gar Reynolds' site as a way to sort of improve my slides a bit because I had done a practice job talk for them, and she said. Go check out this site and um, and see what's going on. And then another professor from my undergraduate years who I was still in contact with at the same time was redoing his slides. And he was posting about it on Facebook. And he was using Gar Reynolds' book too. And that's actually when he posted that he was redoing his slides and talking about some of his experiences as well, um, that's what motivated me to to make the change. It's was like, "They're doing it, I can do it." For this particular job talk, um, and I gave it a shot. And the slides that I've I've given you, I don't know, if maybe, maybe you can post them on the site or something like that. Oh, we'd love are, to. If you, is that on yeah, right with you? If we put them absolutely, up? and you can awesome. show the before and after, the really bad ones, and what they became. Um, yeah, but I don't that,
1: know that I have the before, so if you could, uh, yeah, I'll send them to send you. Send those. That'd be great.
0: Okay, so. Um, so I redid them and um, got rid of the bullet points and did my job talk. And I, I was absolutely happy with the um, the slides, the way they turned out. And of course, everyone's going to ask, well, did you get the job? No, I did not. Oh. <laughs> so slides were not enough, apparently. <laughs> so, yeah. But uh, that, that was the first attempt. And then it, it, I came back to teach at the same place I've been teaching at, at Laurier. And this year I decided I'm going to go through all my classes and no bullet points allowed and i think i got through the year with in all five of my classes i counted them up it was around 10 bullet points total for the whole year
1: all right like well straight. i'd like to uh, i'd like to take a break right now and uh, we'll come back and talk a little more about what it was like to redesign those slides Green again. We're with Tony Christensen uh, talking about his experience changing his, his approach to using PowerPoint as a university professor. So tell me, uh, so you said that you decided to change all of your slides. Yep. Uh, what was that process like for you the first time in, in the classroom?
0: Um, it, like how did it go over in the classroom or was the process like well, Actually, physically changing the
1: yeah for size. you. I mean, how much time did it take was it Was it challenging to oh, relearn that, PowerPoint?
0: It was. It, it took a lot of time. Like that first transition, like for that job talk. Even I spent ridiculous amounts of hours redoing it. Um, if, and at the beginning of the, of this year, when I started doing it for my classes, I I would be spending. Oh, Two hours for maybe every hour of lecture. Like it was, it was quite, uh, quite work intensive. But as the semester went on, it, it just got quicker and quicker and quicker because I was getting more familiar. It, it was with things like like cropping an image, flipping it, doing this, doing that, uh, and I got quicker and quicker, more familiar with PowerPoint. Um, but what also happened towards the end of the year is uh, the slides got far less beautiful, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and that. That was a necessity, and what literally some of my lectures were was just like maybe thirty white slides with one word in black, huge black text on them, and that was it. And the the text would move around the slide from slide to slide for some, you know, a dynamic element or whatever. Yeah. But now, when, I, you I say, just,
1: when you say two hours for every hour, is that? uh lecture prep in general or just working in PowerPoint? just
0: just the powerpoint so in so, addition
1: to all the other time you have to sp- spend preparing the lec the lesson plan. oh yeah
0: that was that in addition to the readings figuring out what i want to say all that sort of thing i i have a notebook full of lecture notes right that I, I write down here's what i want to say and then i actually map out the slides like number one will be this number two will be this number three will be this and i write down ideas for um each slide like like what will be on it like what image if anything will be on it or what video or things like that so I'll have like a numbered list of 30 slides or whatever and then after doing that it would be two hours sometimes of just making the slides work properly uh and so at the beginning of the year I had these very nice picturesque beautiful slides and like I said by the end of the year nowhere near that I you have to be practical with it and um there, and I think there was nothing wrong with just having white slides, one piece of, like, one word or a sentence on them or a quote, the occasional image, things like that, because it was better than bullet points, because, like I said, I think bullet points are actually harmful uh, in the classroom. So that's what it became. Uh, a colleague of mine at another university who was doing this, who I've already mentioned, um, was, would do one class at a time. So one class got the, the nice PowerPoint treatment. The other ones were still on bullet points. And he was just doing one class per semester, changing them over. So you had a uh, control group. that's how group. he managed it. Yeah, basically. He, he did. I didn't because I was teaching brand new courses this year. Uh-huh. So I had no previous slides To go by, I was just doing them all from scratch.
1: That's something I've always wanted to try: is compare two different sections of the same course using these two different methods. Has he said that he noticed a difference between the two?
0: Um, You know, I don't know offhand. He's he's noticed a difference just in the groups. uh, Yeah, he's noticed. He's had students come up and compliment him on the slide or ask about the slide. He's also had resistance to the new slide format and the fact that they weren't bullet points, uh, which is something I've never had. I've never not yet had a student come up to me and ask, you know, you know, why don't you use bullet points or anything like that? So his experiences have been very different to mine. I've never had any sort of resistance to it, but I've also had very little positive feedback either. I've never had anyone come up and go, wow, your use of PowerPoint is fantastic. It's just sort of there. And I've never gotten positive or negative feedback on it. So, um, yeah. So I think that's interesting. No positive, no negative feedback on it. Um, but I think it's better. So we'll see. That is interesting
1: that you haven't had any feedback really either way. Because I find myself just craving that. But, of course, you know, I know the difference. <laughs> yeah. I'm probably a little bit biased. Now, you're just using PowerPoint, is that right? Yes. So, everything that you do is in PowerPoint. You don't really edit. I mean, you're not using Photoshop.
0: Oh, sorry. No, I I have a very old version of Photoshop that I got somehow. I can't even remember how I got it. Probably through a school license Um, back in 2001. And I've managed to hold on to it uh, for these many years. Uh, so I use that sometimes to crop images, fade images a bit, things like that, um, but less and less as I got busier and busier because that's just too time intensive. Uh, but I, I do use some very basic, basic parts of Photoshop um, to, to edit images. But what I found is that just in order to save time, I usually use like full slide images or just you know, half-slide or quarter-slide images that aren't faded into the slide to look pretty or anything like that. And I still think it works very well and still aesthetically looks good. Not that aesthetics are the most important thing that I'm looking for.
2: And along that line, I mean, the point you made earlier where you said you you had some slides where you've got one word on the slide, black text on on the white background. Um, I I wouldn't necessarily put that down because I, I have personally seen that that's quite effective. And Gar Reynolds actually... Uh, wrote a blog post back in two thousand and five about about doing that very same thing, uh, calling out uh, a method uh, I guess pioneered by uh, Mr. Takahashi uh, where that 's basically what he did um, just a small amount of text large uh, large font size, and that 's all.
0: Yeah. And and,
2: uh, and in certain in certain circumstances it can be really, really effective in getting your point across.
1: Lawrence Lessig also uses a very similar technique. Um he he his isn't necessarily like full screen word, but he uses just a single word at a time, but yeah. tends to go through it very fast. So
0: Yeah, it's it's timed right with what he's saying too. It's right. fascinating to watch him do it. Uh, because it's it, his speech is timed with the words that are just flipping by on the screen. It's really fascinating. Um, yeah. But I, it, it, I think it's simple and I think it works because it, it one of the key things is that when I flip a slide over the students are still paying attention to me. Cause when you use bullet points and you flip slides, the first thing that happens, everyone heads goes down and they start copying everything you you know, that that's on the slide. And the first, you know, 10 sentences you say just right over their heads. Uh, whereas if there's just one word, they're like, oh, okay, this is what we're talking about now. Please explain. And, and and that's the thing. One word, they get the topic or or sometimes the word doesn't make sense, right? They're like, why is that on, on the screen? And then they look to you for the answer, right? And then all the attention shifts over to me. And I noticed this in class that I I get much more, eye contact and they're looking at me far more than they're looking at the screen because they've read the word. They saw it. Now please explain this so we can understand why it's on the screen. And I think it is, it it works. It's simple. It's not time consuming and it keeps their attention on me. And I think that's a positive. I hope.
1: And It goes back to what you're saying about the students not being as engaged. So it seems as though with, with the attention on the teacher, they can then be a little more engaged there's a little bit more interaction
0: yeah absolutely i, I mean i get the, the one thing i've been com- uh, i've been complimented on by my students or at least they've commented on and this is more of my style as well i think is that there's much more discussion in my classes they say than oh most of their other classes, even in a class of 120 people, I'm constantly asking them questions. So, you know, what does this mean to you? Or, or what do you think about this? Or those are, those are bad questions. Those aren't actually what I would ask, but, um, but I'm constantly asking them about what we're talking about and getting their feedback and, and having class discussion. And that makes them more engaged. Right. And, and I think that's, uh, one thing that we, I, I really, we should mention is that, or at least in my opinion, I lecture because I have to I lecture because it 's the only way I can manage one hundred and twenty students. Uh, I do not think it is the best educational method out there, but it's 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 the standard, and so the question becomes how is how do you make a good lecture using powerPoint but um, just in case anyone is listening and, and thinking, well, you know no one 's mentioned the fact that lecture isn 't necessarily the best way to 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 engage students. I agree, but the question is when you Have to lecture how do you make it effective and engaging and uh cutting down on bullet points and making them pay attention to me uh to get the answers they're looking for to why is that word on the screen and asking them questions our way to engage them
1: awesome i think that is a great place to just wrap it up and and keep that in mind as we move forward uh trying to design presentations so uh, but we, every episode, we like to share a pick of the, of the week, or I guess of the show, because we don't do this every week. Um, so if you can think, of, I'm going to share one first, and Mike, if you've got something, and Tony, if you yep. can think of either a a great presentation or a, you know deck of slides that you like, or maybe a resource mm-hmm. um, that you've used. Uh, My pick is a presentation on Slideshare that I came across quite a while ago, and you reminded me of it when we were talking about the Takahashi method and um, Larry Lessig, and the presentation is presenting with text, and it is about 30 slides without any images, and yet this is not your traditional PowerPoint. There's also no bullet points, but what the creator has done is used text and typography to create more of a visual medium. And so if you step through this, there's there's differences in the size of the font. Um, I think he uses pretty much the same font throughout most of it. He uses a different font, in, maybe for one word to emphasize it. Um, but he uses design elements such as color, size, um, arrangement, and and composition to make text more visual, and I think it's an incredibly, incredibly effective presentation, or I should say a deck of slides. Um, so that is presenting with text, and you can find it on slideshare.net if you just do a search for presenting with text, and it is by the user Tudor Girba. G-I-R-B-A, and I will include that in the show notes. So, Mike, do you have anything to share?
2: That looks that looks really, really impressive, and it's, I'm, I'm probably going to share with folks at work. Um, yeah, <laughs> anybody who uh, knows me is, uh, you know, will know that I'm, I'm going to come at you from all kinds of angles, and I'm going to come out a little left field on this one uh, because it's not something that is necessarily – presentation or uh, slide design specific but it's something that will save your behind when you've got to present especially if you're presenting outside of your office Um, if you're presenting in someone else's conference room if you're presenting in someone else's classroom anywhere where you're not using your own computer Um, and that is Dropbox
0: oh yeah I use
2: Dropbox me too. Um, I do as well as you know if whenever I'm going to be presenting anywhere other than my computer I, I'm, I'm saving multiple formats. you know me I, I use keynote I'll save a version in PowerPoint just in case I'll save a version in um, PDF, which is my first fallback if um, <clears throat> either keynote is, is failing or who knows what so I've, I've got different formats as a backup that That doesn't take long. that takes maybe fifteen seconds to get that done. but having it on a different medium usually in the past i'd have I put everything on a, on a thumb drive. I might still do that occasionally. Um, but now if i'm going to be presenting anywhere i'm going to save a copy right up on Dropbox. so if the copy that the the host has or that I have somehow um, just will not work. Or is inaccessible i 've got a a place to go to get those files uh, at the, at a moment's notice if, if you're if you're given a presentation it's that old boy, boy scout
0: uh, creed be prepared <laughs> uh, the The one thing i'd add about that too just because i've seen i saw it happen once. Uh, don't rely only on Dropbox. Make sure you sure. have a physical copy because I saw someone uh, they had it on Dropbox and mm-hmm. that's all they had, and there was no internet access where they were. <laughs> so they were uh, they were out of luck because they couldn't get <laughs> so yeah.
1: their Dropbox, a backup that's inaccessible. Well,
0: yeah.
2: Like they like they say with back doing backups, you shouldn't just do a backup to your external drive. You should also have an online backup. Mm-hmm. uh because absolutely. who knows you know, that drive could fail, your house could burn down, and <laughs> if it 's absolutely critical uh information you you've got to have even an off site backup so that you yeah.
1: yeah. awesome so tony i've only given you a couple of minutes, but do you have anything to share a resource maybe that you use to to design or
0: um you know, I. it sounds so bad. I, I can't think of a resource. I really... Actually, Guy Reynolds has mentioned it. I don't know if um, if you guys have. And now I, I'm blanking on the name of the site. It's the one cooler. K-U-L-E-R. Oh, great. Oh, that's awesome. Because I am terrible at colors. I am absolutely awful at figuring out color composition. I have no eye for color. So that site has helped me immensely in making sure that... Um, uh, there's color coordinate. If, if I'm putting in colors, that they're coordinated and that they look good together, uh, lifesaver. So I think it's www.kuler.com. It's run by Adobe. Um, it's kuler.adobe.com. Adobe.com. Yeah. And oh, this right.
1: this is fabulous. Uh, if you read either Gar Reynolds' presentations and design, or Nancy Duarte's slideology, there's a, a small section about uh, color theory. And like you mentioned, you you want to have colors that go well with together. And, you know, my girlfriends are always much better at this than I am. I do not color coordinate well. But this is a great – you. Can, what you can do is just pick a color theme on the site that's already been there. And so you just have five different colors and you can – you know, apply those to your theme. Uh, but you can also upload an image. And so, if you've got an image that maybe is the image you want to base your presentation around, you can upload it and create a color theme off of that image. And this is great for, uh, thank you for mentioning, because this is really a great tool for presentation design and any design, really. So, that's cooler.adobe.com. All right. Well, Tony, thanks so much for joining us. This has been eye-opening, and I think so helpful for anybody that's interested in improving their slide design, uh, whether in the classroom or out. Um,
0: you're you're welcome. It was nice to nice to chat.
1: Yeah, I'm so glad we finally got around to it too, because it's taken us forever to schedule. But uh, so we like to share, you know, our online presence. If, are you very active on Twitter or do you want p- you, people to visit your school website? Anything to
0: um, plug? Well, I have my, my Twitter account is I've been very negligent of it over the last while because I've been so busy. But it's um, <laughs> it's a casual Taoist, which is uh, really hard to spell too. uh C-A-S-U-A-L-T-A-O-I-S-T. You can search my name and it should pop up. Um, that's my Twitter account. And hopefully over the summer, I'm going to get back to where I was before, where, to the point where you actually noticed me on Twitter. And that's how we met, kind of met each other. Um, and uh, my uh, school's website is uh, www.wlu.ca uh, for Laurier, Wilford Laurier University. And I'm um, in the Contemporary Studies program.
1: Awesome. Well, you you are the man. I have to say, just <laughs> picking up a book and redesigning your lecture slides and doing your entire, uh, you know, your entire semester's worth is a big job, and I'm impressed. I must say, I'm very impressed. So well
0: done. Well, well thank you very much. Um, You're welcome. It was it was fu- the one thing I know you want to wrap it up, but the one thing I'll say about it is it was very cool to w- work my mind in in a different way to pay attention to the aesthetics and, and visuals. It's not something we usually focus on as academics, at least not in the social sciences. Um, and it, it's another way to exercise your mind. And I actually enjoyed it sometimes. So, yeah.
1: Great. I love exercising my mind. I switched to using the mouse with my left hand just to do that. So. <laughs> <laughs> Always a good exercise. Well, there Mike, go. send us off. Where can we find you, Mike?
2: Yes, uh, on Twitter at Mike Pulsifer, no space, obviously, and on uh, mike-pulsifer.org.
1: Thanks again for joining us for one more episode of Brain Slides. I am your host, Nathan Cash, and you can find me on Twitter at Brain Slides, and you can visit our website at brainslides.com, and pretty soon I hope to have all of these podcast episodes at that URL. Uh for now you can find our previous episodes of the Brainslides podcast at brainslidespodcast.posterous.com that's p o s t e r o u s.com or on iTunes just search for Brainslides and you will find us. Keep presenting well and we'll see you again another time.